Well, good morning. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Tyler, and I'm the executive minister here at North Decatur. Uh, basically, what that means is I have the awesome job of being able to help with all things uh, connectional and also logistical. In some ways, I'm kind of like the resident spreadsheet nerd, which is, again, the greatest job ever. Uh, but this morning, I get to lead us through our, our sermon on a really interesting text and a really interesting series. This week, we find ourselves in the third Sunday of a series on the book of Hebrews. And I don't know where you are with the book of Hebrews, especially reading passages like Charles just read a second ago for us this morning. But uh, for myself, I feel that the book of Hebrews, which is this almost 35-minute sermon from an unknown author to an unknown group of people, I find it to be captivating. There are words and language here that provide words and language for my wanderings and my curiosities for which I previously lacked language. And so I hope that you find some meaning from this book and that you get to just spend some time with it. It's really a treasure trove here. I want to start with a little bit of story. Two weeks ago, I did a pretty beautiful thing, and I took a week of vacation. Uh, I love what I do here. There's something unique happening in the air that makes it honestly really interesting and exciting to drive into work each day. But admittedly, there's still something sacred about disconnecting from my phone and from the internet, ditching the jeans for swim trunks, and catching up with family and friends. I learned how years ago, moments like this of brief Sabbath and rest are so often underrated, but they have moments of silence and solitude and stillness where we are able to make observations that we might have overlooked or have just even been complacent with. So one of those observations happened on my way back and re-entry back into earth from vacation. I got to my parents' house after being without internet for seven days, and for the first time in seven days, I opened up my phone, I connected to the Wi-Fi, I went to my news apps, you see where this is going, and I did that thing where you push down and you update the news apps. And for the first time in over seven days, I saw all the news that had unfolded over the first part of August. Unfortunately, it's pretty typical news happenings, but it hit me in a new way. There were nationally reported shootings where over 33 were killed and 57 were injured. In Atlanta, during that same time, an additional six people were killed and five injured from gun violence. Historical markers, the news said, and it was being released then, were about to be crossed, bringing up concerns of future market conditions. The month of July, it was being reported, was globally found to be the warmest month since we've started recording global weather temperatures. And our political discourse continues, it seems, to have become increasingly tense and hurtful while I was gone. In that re-entry into earth from the silence that was Sabbath, I went from no exposure to the world around us back into 
the ever-constant trickle of news of violence and hatred and oppression and harm. And in that moment of reentry, I could not help but feeling, because I'm human, at this deeply emotional level that so much of what we know, of what we trust, of what we find hope and rest in, it felt like it was being shaken from our institutions all the way down to our principles. It felt as though the entire world was being tossed from side to side just to see what's anchored deeply enough to withstand and what would give way and disappear. I mean, intellectually speaking, I know that these type of events have accompanied humanity throughout all the ages, but there couldn't explain away just the feeling that I felt from just an emotional place. I don't think it takes a week of vacation to relate to this, to these spaces where it can feel way too easy to believe that violence, hatred, and oppression have the final word. So, when I found out a week ago I was preaching today, I picked up the scripture, though, and with all of this in my mind and in my gut, I really found it interesting, the language that I encountered in our passage that Charles read for us, where the powers of violence, hatred, and oppression are not the ones doing the hardest shaking of the world. The author of Hebrew writes this, God's voice shook the earth then, when God met with the Israelites near Mount Sinai. But now God has made a promise. Still once more I will shake not only the earth, but heaven also. The words still once more reveal the removal of what is shaken, the things that are part of this creation, so that what is not shaken will remain. The fascinating thing for me with this kind of story where God is just shaking stuff with the burning fire and darkness and shadow and whirlwind and trumpet blast and bold words, as wild and as terrifying as they are, these stories are not entirely unique or rare in our text and our histories. God seems to have this proclivity towards shaking up humanity out of our status quo, shaking us up out of old narratives of oppression and marginalization shaking us out of old narratives of hatred and refusal to admit fault, shaking us out of narratives of violence and colonialism, and shaking us out of narratives where the ego reigns. And in their place, God seems to continually be shaking into existence the narratives of justice, of compassion, of peace, of a, of a new covenant. We see God shaking up humanity's everyday routine and status quo when all of those everyday saints before us were gifted with an unquenchable thirst to work to dismantle slavery, to work to end segregation, to work to squash out white supremacy, to provide shelter and clothes to those without cover, to offer education to students who otherwise would have had no access to curious, critical, diverse thoughts, and to just all of those who have risked a piece of themselves for the betterment of others. 
Friends, when I get all kinds of pessimistic and bothered, such as updating my phone after seven days, it's passages such as Hebrews 12 and our faith at large that poetically places my loosely held feelings and perceptions into perspective. The author suggests, and I agree with him or her, that the shaking of violence and the shaking of hatred and oppression upon our world is but a murmur when compared to the cataclysmic thundering that is God working in the world for good. God's movements of good shake all we know like an earthquake, if you will. While the chaos-inducing vibrations of hatred, violence, and oppression are but small murmurs or little aftershocks in its wake, still perceivable, still harmful, still requiring work to be done to resolve, but most critically, those aftershocks never have the final word, nor are they the most persuasive, nor are they ever the most powerful. For me, I don't know about you, but this imagery is helpful for me. It brings my blood pressure down. The tension I get in my shoulders and my neck kind of breaks up a little bit with this imagery that we've been handed to by those before us. And while it is undoubtedly reassuring, we are left with a resounding question of how we as a Christian people live out this truth in our lives. In other words, in a world of tension between, uh, between that which hurts others and a fight to embody our better angels, where do we direct the thoughts, words, and actions of our lives so that we build up more often than we're tearing down? The author of Hebrews writes, almost preempting this question from the church, these words. You have not drawn near to something that can be touched, but you have drawn near to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, to countless angels in a festival gathering, to the assembly of God's firstborn children who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than Abel's blood. In other words, the author of Hebrews is saying, direct the thoughts, the words, and actions of our lives to the kingdom of God that is breaking out in our, in our midst through the age-long work of our triune God. In a world of constant murmurs and vibrations, we are invited to be drawn in and captivated by God's very self. We're not here on a Sunday morning at 9 a.m., I'm guessing, because, uh, sitting in pews when all of us could you know, really be grabbing brunch or sitting in our pajamas just because we had nothing else to do. But we've seen something. So we gather here because we are for something, that we are drawing near to something that is palpable, that betters all of creation, that is part of something that's more sustaining than our own lives apart from anyone else. 
We are here because we're drawing near to the work and the presence of God. Put yet another way, if this connects, if it's been said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, then the author of Hebrews is here suggesting that the force that creates that bending pull on reality, that that force is the presence and work of God in our midst, that we ourselves are being caught up in. And when you just sit with everything on a table, it all makes sense to just hear it and to say it aloud, but it's important nonetheless for us to put these truths before us to call our attention back to this core of our faith. God is at work in our worlds, and even when it seems like nothing is happening, There's always more than what meets the eye. So in a world being shaken up and then there's some aftershocks, how do we take the trajectory of our lives and live this out to direct ourselves towards our triune God? Well, I want to conclude with this piece. Hebrews is a sermon, and it just happens to be that that so what or the here's what you do about it piece of the sermon is sitting in our passage for this morning, which is pretty perfect for me. (laughs) These words, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us continue to express our gratitude. I'm going to say those words again. Let us continue to express our gratitude. With this gratitude, let's serve in a way pleasing to God with awe and respect because our God really is a consuming fire. Gratitude. The author suggests that gratitude is our centering frame for applying our focus onto the kingdom of God and that which is breaking out. There's two pieces of gratitude, right? The first is the witnessing and the realizing of that for which we're grateful. And then there's the expression of that gratitude out in the reality beyond our own minds. And so we're invited, as we go out in this next week, to first and foremost, to be aware of that which to be thankful for, to be aware of how the kingdom of God is breaking out in our world and how God is present. Do we see the children who are advocating for any number of social justice reforms? Or do we see the neighbor who helps in a very small act that would go unseen but means the world to another neighbor? Do we see the person who is willing to explore the possibility that they are wrong for the betterment of others? Do we see how these subtle acts of good are the pieces that are throwing tsunami-sized waves throughout the fabric of our humanity, more transforming, more substantive than acts of violence and ego? And once we've seen these small but mighty things as an expression of our gratitude, may we jump into the work that Christ is unfolding around us, joining together with sometimes the most unlikely of saints in a posture of service to our neighbors. The confidence we have in all of this is that we don't do any of it alone. That seemingly terrifying piece about God is a consuming fire means that just like fire purifies metals, so too will God refine us in the journey.
God will continue to break up our heart and hearts and egos, shake it into us, justice, compassion, and peace. Allow us to see the kingdom of God breaking out and give us the strength to join in. And may that be so. Amen.